1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Backblaze. Backblaze offers unlimited backup of your files. Go to backblaze.com slash CanadaLand for a 15-day free trial. Don't put this off. You need to back up your stuff. Backblaze.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. I use HelloFresh. You should too. For 50% off of your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and enter the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. Omar Mualem, writer for The New Yorker, for Rolling Stone Magazine, for Wired, for The Guardian, and uh, special birthday boy.
0: Oh, you remembered. How sweet of you, Jesse. Thanks so much.
1: Omar, today for your birthday, we're going to talk about Jagmeet Singh's remarkable tolerance of an idiot <laughs> that somehow qualifies him to run this country, I suppose, or something. We are going to talk about how Canada Land has shamed the profession of journalism according to Christy Blatchford. And I might go off on the TIFF Film Fest. I just
0: might. Just for me. Just for my birthday. This is everything I've ever wanted.
1: (laughs) This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Rachel Haig, Dana Dragomir, Grant McCracken, Anne White, Aaron Reynolds, Aaron McLaren, Ben Cullen, and Grantley Franklin. Grantley... Why did you decide to be awesome? Because Canada needs more high-quality media criticism and because Canada Land has exposed me to some of the most interesting voices in Canadian journalism, like Desmond Cole and Vicky Machama, for example. This episode is also brought to you by Backblaze. Omar, what is Backblaze, you may be asking? I can I can sense that you are asking that question.
0: Yes, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. What is it?
1: My friend, it is unlimited cloud backup for Macs and PCs. It backs up everything that you have, your documents, your music, your photos, your videos, your drawings, your projects, everything. Increasingly, I am learning that like, I I hate to say this, but my digital like archives are of absolute mission critical importance to every aspect of my personal and professional life. The idea of losing it, and that kind of thing happens all the time. The fear is real, the concern is real, and the ability to access your data anywhere in the world on your web or your phone is mandatory. You gotta be able to have access if something bad happens. This is not instead of a syncing or sharing service like a Dropbox kind of a thing. This is a great complement to those services because everything is backed up. 23 billion files have been restored using Backplay. So it's not just people backing stuff up. They need to go back and get that stuff. And there's this great service where like if you're completely wiped out, like they, they actually will send you a hard drive with all of your data on it and you can restore everything that you had and need. It is a gimmick free service. There's no additional charges or fees. Make sure you visit backblaze.com slash Canada land if you are curious about this and you can try it out for free for 15 days at backblaze.com slash Canada land. Be smart. Do not lose your data. Give it a try.
0: It's we know you're about the most So <laughs> we can tell by your votes. We all know. <laughs> That's it. It's okay. So what what, what this is, is what this is We, we don't want to be intimidated by hate. We does. don't want hatred to ruin a positive event, right? We don't want hatred to ruin a positive event. So let's show people how we would treat someone with love. We welcome you. 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 We love you. We support you, and we love you. We support you, and we love you. When is his Sharia going to end, Omar? <laughs> you know, Jackmate Singh has been getting a lot of credit for channeling Jack Layton's you know, love and courage message. I think he deserves more credit for not just laughing in her bananas pancakes crazy face and and he does for a moment when she says that he's in bed with the muslim brotherhood he kind of giggles to himself i don't think he gets enough credit for just like not just completely losing it and and uh you know rofl ing all over the floor
1: uh she is an ignorant jackass uh and laughing in her face would not be an inappropriate response, <laughs> you know, getting angry back at her might not be uh, an inappropriate response. I don't, I, I can't say what is the appropriate
0: response. You know, I mean, he could, he could never do that. I mean. You don't really have a choice. You have to turn the other cheek in a situation like that. And even if he, he did start sort of condemning her and, and talking her down, the next thing that was going to happen is people would say like, oh, he's stepping over free speech. This woman has an opinion. She's entitled to his opinion. Look, you won't even let her speak. If they like just dragged her off of the stage like that, that's exactly the criticism that would be happening.
1: Okay. Well, look, in terms of how he responded, I mean, I'm not like, I, I just personally don't feel like, uh, I feel like he handled it very well, and there seems to be widespread consensus around that, and I don't have to deal with that sort of thing, and I would never, I don't know, stand in judgment. And he said, I have to deal with this a lot as a brown-skinned, turbaned man, and I think, like, I mean, I, I admire as much as anyone uh, the grace with which he handled that. We're here to talk about the way that that message itself has reverberated through the media, and this is a bona fide viral sensation internationally. It has been picked up and turned into a little Facebook clip by everybody from, you know, Vice, I think, had 5 million views of their version of this. It's been a real boon to all the <laughs> video suppliers. Guardian had a million and a half. Those now this style sites, the political left sites have picked it up. Well over 10 million views around the world of like and – and it sort of filed under, look at this beautiful thing happening in Canada here. here, it's, here.
0: it's been such a sensation that people have been accusing – Accusing this of being a setup—that that, that she was a plant.
1: Well, I know why people went there because the timing of this couldn't have been better for Jagmeet Singh. Like this is right as the NDP is getting ready to cast their ballots on who their next leader is going to be. I mean, it just couldn't. I mean, if if you were going to plan something like this, this is exactly when you would have had it happen. But I I do not I do not subscribe to the this no. Gen- a...
0: Jennifer Bush is a is a well known anti Muslim uh, activist. She's aligned with uh, Rise Canada. This is just her at her finest. Omar,
1: does it matter that Jagmeet Singh's response was bullshit? Here's what he said. We support you. That's bullshit. You are welcome here. Um, That's bullshit. We love you. Maybe he does, but I I think speaking for the room, that's bullshit. This is not a problem. That's bullshit. Like everything he said, I think is, is like,
0: does it matter that it's not true? No, I don't. I mean, I don't think that it mattered that it was bullshit because I, I like I don't I don't think it was bullshit. I think that there, there is a, a, a better method to handle people like this. And it is not to throw back that same hostility, that same monstrosity and foaming at the mouth, but actually to welcome those people and say, like, look, we're not bad. We we are loving people. We are warm. And this is this is the real Canada, that this is a place where someone like me could actually be the next prime minister. And you just got to deal with that.
1: Yeah, I am absolutely not saying, well, here's what he should have done. I mean, I have no like, you know, I think he handled it just fine once again. But like, I mean, first of all, he shut her down in a way that completely used his position with the microphone, with the crowd on his side to, without any anger or rancor, dismiss her entirely. And I think that she obviously deserved it. I mean, she was so ignorant in her assertions. I mean, you could call these questions, but they were assertions that he's in bed with the Muslim Brotherhood, that he is uh, trying to further Sharia law. I guess I can imagine, I'm not suggesting, I I could conceive of a different response where you say – you obviously are very upset. Uh, you have some questions for me. Do you want to sit down? What is it you think that I've done? And maybe there is some sort of a discourse that could take place where uh, she's disabused of her notions and, uh, you know, you never convince a person like that, but at least to like the many, many, many other people who are like fear that there are there is this movement towards instilling Sharia law in Canada, like just like, well, yeah. well I'll actually talk to you and tell you why that's absurd. I, I guess I would rather hear that happen I'm just responding to the fact that, like, I don't think we owe her support, love, welcoming, and I don't believe that that's actually (laughs) how anyone feels towards her, you know?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, that actually some people do feel that way toward her. I don't know if you've read the Toronto Sun in the last uh, couple of days, but there is. Not one, but two uh, pseudo defenses of this uh, of this crazy bigot. Uh, sorry, a, a viral heckler, as I believe uh, Joe Warmington called her. Ooh, a viral um, heckler. Yeah, I mean, Joe Warmington uh, meets with her in an Indian restaurant to uh, discuss her side of the story. I'm not kidding you. He actually what, interviews her. Was in her a, first video Indians. at Ford Fest? <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, it was. It was at Ford Fest. <laughs> No, so I mean, he he interviews her and, um, you know, he he lets her say things like the way things are going, we could end up like Saudi Arabia, where women have few rights. Yeah, I'm sure that's in the cards for for Canada sometime soon. And she says that she's worked in women's shelters where she has seen wives, I'm assuming wives of Muslim men with their tongues cut out. And Joe Warmington, yeah, yeah. who also has his tongue cut out, uh, says nothing about this. He doesn't even use his editorial latitude as a columnist to form an opinion of her. He just gives her all the airspace she can, and then he, and then he just like offhandedly mentions that one of her grandchildren has a Muslim dad, and it's like I want to know more about that, but he gives you <laughs> nothing. And that's just one of the columns. I mean, and th- and that's that's the that's the less egregious one. Anthony Furies takes you down this rabbit hole of Anglo-Franco politics all about how Jagmeet Singh has a problem in Quebec and that's what this is really all about. I mean you'd think that it's just so easy to condemn belligerent racists who just scream and yell and are so indifferent to the facts that they won't even bother to learn the difference between Muslims and Sikhs but these two columnists really struggled with that. All right, fair enough. Yeah, she was absolutely
1: welcomed, and they tried to do some image rehab uh, through War- Joe Warmington and Anthony Fury. The other aspect of this that's concerning to me is is that like I kind of get the feeling like this is going to put Jagmeet Singh over the top. You know, it, it's showing that he can. I mean, maybe it's rational, like you're saying. Like, look, we've got a you know a, a prime minister who deploys meme warfare, and you got to fight meme warfare with meme warfare, and Jagmeet Singh is the one candidate who can do that. But. To have a candidate basically seize the leadership role through a meme, like, is that the level at which p- political discourse is happening? And that, and that really is the media side of this. Is like, like, and playing to an international audience, like, none of this has anything to do with Canadian policy or Jagmeet Singh's record or the record of his opponents.
0: Yeah, I mean, politics has always been a popularity contest of sorts, and we might see in uh, in I guess the next month when the NDP nomination happens that this this might be one of the better things for uh, that has happened for Jagmeet Singh but i don't want to discount the fact that i think he's a fine politician and his views on sort of the the anti-religious or anti-muslim laws in quebec are some of the most reasonable within that party i mean a lot of the a lot of the leaders in the ndp don't really have the guts to call these quebec legislations out for being completely xenophobic and racist because they're afraid of losing the Quebec vote. Jagmeet Singh has to his credit. Yeah. We're, we're, I don't know. uh, Guy Caron
1: is on uh, Commons this week talking about his, I think rather internally conflicted position that government has no business telling anyone what they should wear, but we also need to be sensitive to the fact that Quebecers don't like to be told what to do by Ottawa. So uh, let's find a balance. I think there is no balance. Like either you can dictate that or you can't, you know? People can check out comments if they want to hear that whole conversation without my color commentary on it. I don't know. Maybe the meme is a great way to,
0: to determine who should, who should run our parties and, and, and later our country. Uh, maybe so. Well, then our, our next leaders will all be kittens. Everyone welcome our feline overlords.
1: Omar, um, we're going to get to Duly Noted, but first I want to thank our second sponsor, HelloFresh. You're going to be a dad soon, right? It's true. Look, Omar, I have few areas where I can lord over some expertise and being a few years earlier to parenthood than you, I'm going to follow in the steps of every other new parent and patronize you with my advice and and <laughs> cooking and food and what to cook and what to cook for yourself versus the kid. This stuff suddenly gets a lot of scrutiny and something that has been a very positive thing in my household is HelloFresh, which like we just always wanted to cook more than we found ourselves cooking and the takeout thing you know makes you feel gross and it's... HelloFresh, you get to cook, which is something that I like to do in front of my kids and for my kids. And you eat healthy and there's no food waste. And it just makes the whole process so much quicker because the meal planning and the shopping are out the window. Recipes are done in 30 minutes. They test this. I went to their test kitchen and saw them how they test this. It's simple, easy to follow instructions that actually gradually get you out of your comfort zone and get you cooking things that you wouldn't otherwise cook. They source the freshest ingredients from local sources measured to the exact quantity needed. If this sounds appealing to anybody out there and you were thinking, maybe I'm going to give this thing a shot, give it a shot with HelloFresh because through Canada land, you'll get 50% off of your first box. Why not see if it's for you? Visit hellofresh.ca slash Canada Use the promo code CanadaLand. Omar, uh, will you begin
0: this duly noted session for us? Oh, sure. Um, I want to duly note some news that broke out, uh, this morning, Wednesday mm-hmm. morning. Uh, which is that the National Post is unionizing. And they're unionizing with the CWA in uh, in a press release that acknowledges the fact this kind of feels like hell freezing over. You know, you're in Edmonton right now, and I can't
1: see your face, but I'm just going to go ahead and report to our listeners that your face has a shit-eating grin on it right now. <laughs>
0: It does. I mean, I'm a freelancer and um, I, I'm not unionized myself. I don't feel like I have too much stake in the National Post you know, unionizing. But this is, I mean, this is pretty significant. This is the National Post editorial staff finally saying enough is enough. We're tired of being forced to take these pay cuts from Post Media executives while they collect their bonuses.
1: And benefits cuts and all and sorts benefit, of and cuts. And
0: we're going to start protecting ourselves. hmm And uh, what's really interesting to this is the National Post just it keeps getting slashed. And I think that it does have to have something to do with the with the fact that they are not unionized. And the fact that they are not unionized, I think, has to do with the fact that it is a proudly conservative newspaper. But we see what the consequences of that are. A couple of years ago, when Post Media did this disastrous slash, eviscerated its payroll a lot of that came from Alberta. And the reason that it came from Alberta and Edmonton and uh, the Edmonton Journal and the Calgary Herald is because those two newspapers weren't unionized. So I, I see this as uh, the National Post staffers really trying to protect themselves from what they see as the writing on the wall.
1: Yeah. And of course, the hell freezing goes over part, you know, just that they're like how many editorials bashing unions in those papers? Uh, you know, like, look, I feel saddened to see the laissez faire you know, libertarian verve of early national post. And like, there were certain ways in which like, I, I kind of felt like, yeah, you go guys. Like they were thumbing their nose at the stodgy stiff ways of other Canadian media. And they they had an, a, a, an approach to their staffers where like, sure, go ahead, do what you want. You can do a host, a show on the side, go on a panel. You don't have to ask us for permission. We're not your mommy. You know, it's not like working for the CBC. Like, you know, this is a capitalist enterprise and each one of you is free to pursue your own capitalist enterprise. And those politics were internalized by a lot of National Post staffers. So, uh, you know, there's a sense of defeat in them, like just the writing is on the wall. It's obvious that management is just going to keep slicing and slicing and slicing, saving their own skins and paying off their debtors. So what are they going to do? They got to do this.
0: Yeah. And soon enough, they'll be admitting that racism is a problem. Don't hold your breath. Duly noted.
1: I'm going to talk about Rosé as a fine accompaniment for uh, stories about the cruelty of slavery in the United States of America. Wait,
0: are you are you duly noting something something now? Is that what's happening? That's what's happening right now. All right, I, th- I thought you were just like advertising another product. No, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm I, I'm I'm talking about this story that um, scandalized us here in Toronto. Did it make it out of the bubble? Did you hear about this Toronto Star? Um, yes, I did. You did, of course. <laughs> it's a it, little awkward. Yeah, yeah. So the wine wine column, we were curious if this was actually sponsored content itself, but it it seems that this is just a regular uh, occurring wine column in the Star. And hey, Tiff is in town, so Tiff takes over everything. Everything has to be about Tiff. So here's some wine to go with Tiff movies past and present. 12 Years a Slave, that goes well with Rosé. No,
0: no. Bad idea. Bad
1: idea. Could
0: you imagine how tiring and monotonous it must be to be a wine columnist sometimes? I mean, could you imagine having to come up with a new hook to drinking wine every week? And then like right before your deadline, you realize you haven't come up with something. So you pop on Netflix and you're looking through the movies that reflect the self-importance that you feel, but you don't remember why you feel it. And the last thing that I'm sure she wanted to do was write another wine story. I mean, to me, it seemed like this writer wanted to review some great movies.
1: And then know. alas
0: every last sentence had to somehow make a contrived onophilic like connection that uh, <laughs> that sounds like a like an awful way to live. I think you got it backwards.
1: I think that a wine critic loves writing about wine and it's the editor saying it's tiff you got to write about tiff. And that's how you get a sentence like so offset the searing cinematic discomfort <laughs> with this smooth, dry, understated rose. It soothes the senses with There
0: are f- some beautiful alliterations there, by the way. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and and really like I I feel like this for me is is a another symptom of this TIFF. Everything in Toronto just gets hijacked by this goddamn festival. And people are like actually afraid to talk shit about TIFF. And I don't really have much skin in the game. Like my, my irritation, like I just sort of avoid it. I, I would rather not pay three times the amount of money it usually costs to see a movie in order to see it three weeks early. So I don't really participate. I've been to a few of the parties and stuff. And mostly I'm just irritated when like it takes over neighborhoods and you can't get anywhere. And the more I've been reading about TIFF and the more I've been thinking about how it just completely subsumes public life in Toronto... Uh, like, like I came across this. Okay, this isn't even like I'm. I'm really just um, indulging my own pet peeve here. But like, this is a video that TIFF made. A, a movie that they made to com- to commemorate 9/11. And this is a few years old by now. This is the, the, the 10th anniversary of 9/11. This is something that they produced. Literally, like about midnight, I was dancing with David Lynch and Naomi Watts, and um, we're all doing some weird dance, holding uh, holding arms together and dancing. And the festival was going so well up to that point, you know. There started to be a buzz about a terrible accident. People standing around looking sort of in shock. We just kind of watched in horrified silence.
0: When the news and chaos broke out, people were definitely looking to the film festival for guidance. What? <laughs> the untold story of 9-11 is that it was truly a damper on the Toronto International Film Festival. And Jay-Z's The Blueprint album. Let's not forget that.
1: When the news broke out, people were definitely looking to the film festival for guidance. (laughs) You twits, you self-important twits. Uh, I'm digging back to find this, but like, do we really need that in Toronto? Like that that sense that like, like this is the industry that is more important than anything. Like there was another thing, Omar, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I'm making so many, like I'm gonna drizzy, okay? Uh, A video came out, of Drake's convoy of like Escalades on, was it Adelaide? This guy had a dash cam and there's like a Maybach. And then this like, this huge mountain of a man, this bodyguard comes out of of a vehicle and stands in the road and is directing traffic and impeding the progress of somebody's car so that like eight (laughs) of these massive black SUVs can drive in a slow convoy, all of which were parked in the bike lane. Like Drake has done some nice things for Toronto, but like <laughs> parking his fucking convoy in the bike lanes is not like we don't need this shit. This like deification of celebrity in Toronto. I I'm I'm really wondering. People make cases for Tiff and the act, the economic activity it brings to Toronto. Like I just want these people to fuck off and go home.
0: I get that, but do you know what Edmonton would give for a Tiff? Like, do you know what others? How much other cities would love? Something like that, that kind of attention for a week. I mean, I don't know if Edmonton would give up Connor McDavid, but probably like Cam Talbot or something. I mean, this city just spent half a billion dollars on a downtown arena just to boost its self-esteem. So, I mean, maybe you feel that way that you know Toronto becomes totally futile. Maybe you're talking downtown Toronto, but <laughs> I mean, I I think Tiff sounds like. I think TIFF sounds like a great thing for a city, for the most part. Yes, it would be it would be frustrating. And maybe, you know, after a few years or living your whole life in Toronto, you'd get over the whole celebrity thing pretty quickly. But, I mean, I come from a place that actually calls itself Festival City. And the festivals here are just, like, so average. Omar! It, like, we, we, we have this international fringe theater festival that is our TIFF. A fringe theater festival is our tiff. Zach Galifianakis was once in town for it. And it was like an Easter egg hunt trying to find him at the fringe festival. Like that's that's how desperate we are for a little bit of celebrity validation. Omar, that's adorable. It is cute, I know. And I don't know who Connor. Everything McDavid is. Everything in Edmonton is much cuter. Yeah, but like I live in like a real <laughs> city, like a world-class city. You don't city. know like... who Connor McDavid is? Oh, I my don't, God. But, I, but I like... Oh, you... Good God, you're so out of touch with the
1: average Canadian. One day, when Alberta's <laughs> economy forces you to this city, you'll learn that, like, it, it's like being a trench honey should be like a New Yorker. We're not impressed. I don't care if there's a celebrity sitting next to me. Like, we live amongst them. It's fine. Like, I'm not, I, I don't need that. It's that's when you've truly grown up, is when you don't even want that. Duly noted. This episode is sponsored by Better Help. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. It was maybe the, the, the meanest thing we've ever run. It was a nasty bit of business.
0: Even meaner than the time that I said everyone at Sun News Network deserved to be fired? Even meaner, perhaps, to some
1: than that. And I was thinking <laughs> about that piece that you wrote. That was the first thing you did for us. It was a piece by Robert Jago. Basically, it was an obituary for Conrad Black. Now, there was no confusion. We made it very clear that Conrad Black is still very much alive. But it was, uh, you know, for future use, here is an obituary. For Conrad Black that didn't seem too sad at his hypothetical passing. And I was very pleased that uh, Jonathan Goldsby, our editor, commissioned this piece and, and ran mm-hmm. it. And I, I, I was very proud to, to have published it. And the reason why is that Conrad Black has written piece after piece whenever the issue of Indigenous people come up, be it Indigenous people hoping that treaties are honored or complaining the fact that they don't have potable water or that more money is spent per child in the education of everybody else than their own kids. Any of the various things that are these burning daily pressing needs that indigenous people are fighting for, that is Conrad Black's cue to remind us that by his historical approximation – When the Europeans came to Canada, indigenous people on this land were in the the Bronze Age, barely. And they scalped each other and tortured their women and children and were constantly at war
0: with each other. And he brings this up again and again. And again and again and again. I mean, there were six instances of him saying this almost word for word that First Nations people loved war and would torture women and children to death. Yeah. and uh, you know'm I'm, I'm just by way of summary like it's it's like it's almost like a canned response for Conrad Black I mean if you're talking about cruelty I think that what Robert
1: Jago wrote was a response to an endorsed officialized cruelty which is like you know, he, he called it both inaccurate and irrelevant and yeah you know like there, uh, he takes issue with the accuracy of this historical depiction of but what spoke to me is I'm like who even the fuck cares like people who are living here now are trying to fight these battles now because they are suffering now and because they're being screwed over now. And then to have this like cartoon millionaire be like, you were nothing when we got here is to me the height of cruelty. And the fact that is endorsed by giving this space in the post is just this, this recurring act of just meanness that I was very happy to return in kind with Robert Jago's piece, and and uh, it was uh, absolutely an assault on propriety and decorum, and it was in terribly bad taste. And um, Christy Blatchford called us out for it.
0: Yeah, she did. She had to. Uh, she had to protect her her brethren, Conrad Black. There, the guy's been through a lot. I mean, he's a he's a former inmate. I don't know why you thought it was a good idea to you know continually traumatize this guy after what he's been through. <laughs>
1: I have a very Complicated relationship with Christy Blatchford that uh, you know that maybe she actually should have talked about a bit more in her condemnation of Canada Land, but uh, she's been on the show. She has been a Canada Land financial supporter, a generous one for a long time. She also is somebody who we've been very, very critical of, and um, uh, she's been critical of me. She she she, she called my investigation of Jean Gimeshi McCarthyism, and uh, you, you know I I I. I I found I, she got spun by uh, an off the record source and completely misreported something during the trial. I've been critical of her and in, in, in some of her other coverage. I had respect for her as an old school court reporter who I think would make the effort to, to learn about the things she wrote about. That respect is mitigated by some other stuff that she's written. And I think she's lost respect for us as she writes in the post that she she wanted to support us. But um, she had to pull our support, her, her support
0: Can I ask you a question about how you felt about a part of her story? Yeah. She called Canada Land fake news or or this article, this article rather fake news. I think she knows that it's not fake news. She knows it's satire. What do you think that that says about how she views her audience that she would just try to fool them into thinking that this article was actually what we know as fake news? I
1: didn't, like, I, I, there's a certain pride at this point in being called fake news because of just the way that that term has become such a ridiculous caricature. I, I, like, and I feel like I wasn't even clear as to, like, was she mad at us because she thought that we misinformed our readers that Conrad Black was dead and therefore it's fake news? Or was that kind of like a joke? Like, oh, they wrote a, a, an obituary for somebody who's alive. Let's call it fake news. It felt like a throwaway line. And I feel like she really is writing more and more uh, in a throwaway fashion. And, and later she writes that, uh, we shamed the profession. I want to talk about this. Not like, here's my response to what she wrote. Um, I'm going to fire back at her. Like, like if I can, I mean, I'm involved in the story, obviously. So, but I, I can try to do some media criticism because like, like just looking at this in a, in, in a kind of meta way, when Christy Blatchford, who is, I think the highest paid columnist in Canada and one of the most widely read, either her coin is the highest paid People really love to read her stuff. When you've got somebody with that kind of a platform, writing that you are fake news and that you've shamed the profession and you are a small media organization like us, that should be a crisis. You know what I mean? And I was prepared for the crisis. Like, are advertisers gonna pull their support? Are people gonna
0: refuse to give us interviews? Are we gonna have all kinds of patrons pulling their money? Come on. Are you really worried about that? I mean, my thought was, oh, Jesse Brown must be so happy that right. Christy Blatchford is filling that much space with the word Canada Land over and over again.
1: And that is the other perspective that we heard. From, oh, you should send her flowers. She's done you such a great favor. What a great publicity this is for you. Um, because you don't need, like all those, people would be surprised by how many National Post readers are Canada Land supporters as well. And this idea that this is like a lefty bastion, you know, there, there are a lot of people uh, who don't identify that way on the political spectrum who support it. So I didn't know which way it was going to turn, and I, I, I was sort of you batten down the hatches and you and you get ready for like blowback support. And for a moment, there were like a couple people saying, "Well, we're going to kick in some dollars to replace Christy Blatchford's money," uh, you know. So like, oh, maybe this is a huge boon to us. And then there were a couple of people who wrote me letters saying, "Yeah, I think you guys crossed the line with that piece." Nobody pulled their support to my knowledge, but they were critical of us. So I thought, okay, here it comes the backlash.
0: We're going to lose a lot of supporters. Omar, nothing happened. No, I mean, anybody who already supports Canada Land knows that Canada Land uses a voice that is uh, provocative, edgy, and kind of unapologetic. Not necessarily sensational, in my opinion, though I'm sure people would disagree with that. Look, I I mean, I, I really enjoyed... Uh, Robert Jago's piece, and I, th- I think you should be proud that you published it. For one, it's a great piece of writing. I mean, he's dunking on Conrad Black with the same kind of eloquence and at times florid writing that Black is is so famous for. Eloqu- um, it's a
1: purple overwritten, he made a pastiche out of Conrad Black's style. Yes, um, exactly. He, he did a fine job of it. I and that
0: was, that was pretty brilliant, but his point really is less about Conrad Black and more about Canadian media's hostility and indifference to Aboriginal history by letting Black repeatedly get it wrong. And he speaks about Indigenous people, as as uh, Robert points out, in a way that you couldn't about Jews or Blacks or even Muslims. And that says a lot. And it's not just Conrad Black. I mean, this whole week, some of the most popular, most widely read columnists in Canada have published nothing but apologism for racism in this country. I mean, you have... Conrad Black's sort of uh, tacit response to this, which is called Racism is Dying. Yeah. Okay. And then you have Margaret Wente in the in the Globe and Mail writing the that there is good news about racism. And to my surprise, the good news is not that more of us are acknowledging its pervasiveness and that a little bit of it lives inside of all of us, but rather that we're making progress on racism. Like, who is arguing against that? And then you have those two clowns in the Toronto sun finding some sort of way to legitimize this nutbag, Jennifer Bush, for violently berating a turbaned, brown, bearded politician for supporting the Muslim Brotherhood and Sharia law. Two things that have nothing to do with his faith, not that it should matter. The fact that
1: Margaret Wente and Conrad Black both wrote Racism is not a problem anymore. Columns the same week is so fucking weird to me. Like, do they get on the phone? Like, how does that t- happen? That, you know, even putting aside, like, that these are the last people who have any authority to talk about the state of racism and, and, the, and the blindness they have to their own. Like, Conrad Black is always saying, like, how many times do I have to tell you I'm not a racist? Now, to continue, indigenous
0: people were like Neanderthals when we found them. Like, you know, <laughs> and to not understand. No, they were in the Bronze Age now. He I used think- to say they were in the Stone Age, but now it's the Bronze oh, Age. Oh, I-,
1: I apologize to the litigious uh Lord Black of Cross Harbour, who, who in his piece, where his whole column, by the way, was a long subtweet to Robert Jago, and ends. I think he's talking about about Jago and Canada Land. They are drinking their own bathwater, and they will perish unmourned in their own bile. And I have to credit him for at least playing along with this this contest of whose death will go more unmourned. All I wanted to say, Omar, is that it feels to me like, you know, then you have like Ken White's big upping Christy Blatchford for protecting Conrad Blatchford, like all this chorus of, of powerful or once powerful people supporting each other. What struck me this time around, and the only reason I wanted to bring it up, is that it just didn't seem to matter to anyone but them. And it feels like this is what they're doing on their way out the door.
0: Yeah. But once again, it does reveal the overwhelming diversity problem in Canadian media. We can't deny that.
1: That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. Omar, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Jesse. Thanks for the for the dad advice too. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. And uh, congratulations in advance. It's an exciting time. You can email me. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com and I read everything that you send me. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Omar, where can people find you? On Twitter as well at Omar underscore A O K. If you want to get our news stories, which we publish all the time and which are really fantastic, in your Facebook news feed, which is probably where you get your news, like us on Facebook. Or go to CanadaLandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com/slash Canada Land. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is produced by Kevin Sexton. Tickets are going fast to our Hot Docs Podcast Festival show. I will be interviewing Daniel Dale, a journalist who has covered Rob Ford and Donald Trump, and I can promise you that this is going to be a riveting conversation. Google the Hot Docs Podcast Festival, and you'll be able to buy tickets pretty easily. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're gonna be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you gonna get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canadaland. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman, found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place.
0: Justice will let me serve in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she?
1: White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.